The Game Podcast is proudly sponsored by StarCityGames.com. And SCG's holiday sale is happening with hundreds of new items added every day through January 2nd. Give the gift of SCG this year with gift cards, SCG merch, and supplies. Also through January 2nd, SCG is giving a 50% trade bonus on cards. The SCG Tour kicks off 2018 in Columbus with a modern main event on January 6th. Hey everyone, welcome to the 57th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson, and here with me is Brian Gottlieb, a.k.a. Sandy Claus. What is this? Sandy Claus, bro. You never watched Nightmare Before Christmas? Dude, a long time ago. Okay, Nightmare Before Christmas is like not only one of my favorite holiday movies, but one of my favorite movies of all time. When they talk about Santa Claus before they really know him, they refer to him as Sandy Claus. Okay, I didn't know if this was like a... Like a Pokemon, like Sand Slash reference or something. I don't know. No, just I'm getting in the Christmas spirit, man, or the holiday spirit to be inclusive for all of our listeners. And, you know, being half Jewish myself, I should probably give a shout out to the holidays in general as opposed to just Christmas. But I love The Nightmare Before Christmas. Like that's that's my movie right there. Yeah, I mean, that movie, I, I remember like seeing the visuals and just being like, oh man, this is badass, right? But Yeah, and I actually saw, I had an ex-girlfriend who was a film student and she had a teacher who like worked on the movie and I got to see all these pictures from behind the set. And I'm sure there's a documentary out there, but for some reason, seeing the pictures was cooler. And they're like, the animatronic things are huge. They're like these huge sculptures um, <laughs> and the, the landscapes were amazing to see when they were, you know, in pieces and being put together. I would expect all that stuff to just be smaller. You think that would make it easy, but I think working in like the larger scale makes it easy to be expressive. And obviously if you watch the movie, the characters are all super expressive. Like that's really where the movie makes its bread and butter is just having these super expressive characters. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So (laughs) this episode is, is just kind of going to be like a little potpourri. We don't really have a set topic or anything. Uh, We're going to talk some about standard, some about modern. And then there are a bunch of uh, questions from, our discord channel that are also pretty sweet. And some of them are kind of in depth. So it's like, eh, what the hell? Like, let's just go like super ham on these questions, I think. And one of them is actually, what's your favorite holiday movie? Just answered. <laughs> I didn't even intend to, but I just nailed yeah, it. I, I got your answer. Uh, yep. Mine, <laughs> like I, I didn't really have an answer to this until like two days ago. And uh, I was at my friend's house and four people live there. One of them is Glenn Jones. It was just like me and him up like kind of early waiting for other people to get up so we could go do stuff you know he just like turns on kiss kiss bang bang which is probably my second favorite movie ever and i was like oh okay like we're we're watching this and he's like yeah man it's it's my favorite holiday movie i've never seen kiss kiss bang bang it's robert downey jr and val kilmer it's it's awesome you got to give me more than that. Like, what's the general premise of the movie? If I tell you the premise, it will either sound stupid or give too much away that I don't want to give away. Uh, one of those. Okay. Okay. I'll just put it on my, I'll put it on my to watch list and I'll, I'll report back in a future podcast episode with my opinion of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. But, but it, it takes place like during the holiday time, you know? So it's like, you see like a random Christmas tree and like someone wearing a Santa hat or whatever. It has nothing to do with the holidays, but it's just, it's just like kind of there. So this is like another diehard answer right where people say die hard is your yeah, favorite movie. yeah okay but so i i didn't have a favorite holiday movie so now seeing as how it is just one of my favorite movies in general i i guess that's my answer 
Well, I'll take that answer, but it's kind of cheating. Like, I love Die Hard too, but I get very frustrated when people posit that as their favorite holiday movie. Like, you're answering the letter of the question, but not the spirit of it. Yeah, well, the the movie starts with uh, Robert Downey Jr. trying to get his kid a Christmas present. Mm, getting close. Getting closer. Okay. Well, I, I, <laughs> I'm just going to blame Glenn Jones for this one. Otherwise, I don't have an answer. I don't know. There, I, I, I'm not big on tradition. Let's put it that way. No, I'm not a huge traditionalist either. And maybe that's why Nightmare Before Christmas is the one that kind of speaks to me, where it's this weird mishmash of Halloween and Christmas. And, you know, it's kind of like its treatment of the holiday is a little, it, it's both reverent and like dismissive at the same time, right? Which I think is really cool about it. Okay. Well, you want to you talk about standard and modern first? Hmm. I want to talk about modern. Modern is just way more interesting to me right now. And, it, and it's not many times I've said that, but like, Cool decks keep popping up. Cool things keep happening. And there's multiple metagames that we apparently have to account for that look nothing like each other. So I say start with modern. Okay. I'm, I'm actually kind of more excited about standard, but mo- modern, I agree, is in a good spot and all that stuff. So modern, what, what do you like? Has anything changed? I mean, you're saying like new decks keep popping up. Like has anything recently caught your eye? Well, I mean, we talked a little bit last week about the the goofy eight pongified deck and, you know, you just threw a few decks my way, which I find very interesting, but I'm talking more like the context of the Moto PTQ, which was dominated by Death Shadow. And I know you're a huge fan of Death Shadow, as am I. I think it's just like a incredibly powerful, really good baseline for the format, but it's been absent for so long. You know, they're, they're not really, I mean, I guess the winning list was playing double teamer battle rage and like that's your concession to a combo big mana metagame that's kind of a small concession like you're not doing anything fundamentally different you're just like all right we're going to up the clock by by this two of that we hope to draw so i I was not expecting resurgence of death shadow this early in kind of the rotation of the metagame but maybe there just is no rotation maybe people just grab whatever they want and that's what modern is well one thing to note also is that moto moves quicker so are you are you positing that this is actually the next step in the metagame? Like they've already moved beyond the large mana dominated GP that we saw just a few weeks ago? Well, if people are playing like I, I've seen more blue red decks with Blood Moon, for example, and like spreading seas and like various blue white decks and stuff. And I think if the format shifts to these fair decks or hyper fast combo decks to answer the big mana decks, then Death Shadow's in a pretty Death good Shadow's place. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe things are really happening that fast. That's kind of incredible to me. You know, this is not what I would have predicted for the Moto Top 8. I guess I expected Blue-White to show up in some numbers. I mean, you were very high on the deck. I understand its place. I, I thought there'd be more Field of Ruin type decks. But no, just Death Shadow, Disruption, Quick Clock. You know, classic combination for Eternal Formats. Yeah, so three Death Shadows in Top 8. One Grixis Pyromancer deck with no Death Shadows. Yeah, I, I saw that referred to as uh, Delverless Delver, which I, I kind of like that description, actually. Yeah, it's legit. Uh, sideboard is four Brutality, four Nile Spellbomb, four Disdainful Stroke, two Explosives, one Lava Mancer. So. He did not listen to the podcast last week. Not a fan of the game. He's just going ham. Yep. Also, a couple of copies of Dredge and a Lantern and a Burn, you know. Yeah, Lantern is the new version, I believe, right? Yep, four War of Invention. So that might that might be the new default Lantern deck, and I think rightfully so. So Steve Mann won the PTQ. Andrew Jessup got 10th, also with Grixis Death Shadow that has, he's, his list is like pretty streamlined. Four Gurmeg Angler, no Tassiger. Six Discard, four Opt, four Thought Scour. 
also two teamer battle rage for stubborn denial. Uh, yeah, these these decks are kind of weird. Ooh, Grixis Torrential Gear Hulk Consume the Meek in eleventh. Yeah, I saw this one. This one's interesting. I I am not sold on this deck whatsoever. Like it's hard for me to imagine a modern format where three Consume the Meek, three Torrential Gear Hulk is a good idea. Glimmer of Genius. Think twice. <laughs> yeah, this deck's crazy, man. And props to this guy for for taking it this far. Twenty five land, which is uh, like kind of unheard of in modern, honestly, unless you're doing uh, amulet type shenanigans. But this is just a straight control deck. It's it's kind of crazy how far along that spectrum he's moving here. Is QB Turtle fifteen Chapin's Magic Online screen name? That's what I want to know. Not that not that <laughs> he could play PTQs, but. Yeah, this is definitely his style of deck, though, 100%. Oh, yeah. There's, like, some Infect popping up. Batu Tinha playing Blue-Eye Control, which I love. That's kind of his MO, though, right? Like, he'd be playing Blue-Eye Control even if it was not particularly good, I believe. Eh, I don't know about that. I, 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 think his, I think his range is wide. Okay. For some reason, I associate him very hard with Blue-Eye Control, but maybe that's an outdated uh, take on his, his range. So what's your answer right now? Where are you at as far as uh, modern goes? Do you see something you like here that you're inspired to pick it up? Or are you just still kind of where you were last week? No real changes. Maybe. I, I feel like, dude, anytime I feel like, oh, I'll just like play this in a modern tournament, it's, it feels like I just get invalidated, you know? Just like the, the format just like passes me by. So what are these guys doing to stay one step ahead? That's, I mean, that's the question we need to be asking is, is how do you make these correct decisions and end up in this sweet spot? I, I guess the answer is like small adjustments, like we said, as opposed to scrapping the Death Shadow list that Random Drooler had been playing forever. He's like, no, I'm just going to put an extra team or battle rage and that'll give me a little bit more clock and we're good to go. Literally zero big mana decks in top 32. Yep. Actual zero. Damn. I don't know, man. Like it's such a hard format to predict at this point. I don't even want to put forth guesses because I feel like I'm just made to look like a fool every time. Yeah, same. I don't know. This, yeah, this, as a snapshot of modern, like, this doesn't look that crazy. But when you think about how last week we were like, oh, you know, big man is like 15 to 20%, like, you got to be prepared for it. And then it is just 0% of the winner's metagame. Like, that is bizarre. Unless everyone prepared to that extent. Like you said, Moto metagame moves faster. Everyone already made the adjustments to invalidate big mana, and it's gone. That's it. One week. Yeah, I mean, there are more Stubborn Denials, more Battle Rages, more Disdainful Strokes in these decks, you know, and those are just small adjustments, but they do matter. I find it hard to believe that these sort of things could just invalidate the strategy entirely, but it is possible. I, I, like the Burn deck that got third place has four Molten Reigns in the sideboard, you know, that is certainly a, a very clear targeted move. Yes, it is. Yeah. And yeah, like Dredge is maybe sort of kind of tough. Failure to comply in one of the lists, which is uh, pretty good against those decks. Yeah, man. I don't know. I, I still like the idea of blue-red breach with blood moons and the madcap stuff in the sideboard. I do feel like that deck is exactly the type of deck that Grixis Death Shadow wants to get paired against. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you would need a plan against them. Uh, maybe it is just explosives or roast or something along those lines. But maybe blood moon is good enough. I don't know. So you're starting to get pretty close to a very important modern tournament. Have you made any like concrete steps to start preparing? Are you more invested in modern at this point? Or is it just your usual, like keeping an eye on the format, queue here, queue there? Are you talking about this pro tour thing? Yeah. You know, that, that really important tournament coming up. Oh, dude, I have a month and a half. It'll be fine. Okay. No rush then. Just take your time. 
Uh, so I'm playing in Santa Clara first, and David Ochoa is going to be our modern person. And I believe that he is going to be playing Grixis Death Shadow. He played Esper Death Shadow in Oklahoma City, and he went 11-4. And he said, like, the deck was fine, but it was, like, kind of medium. And then, you know, the the big mana decks kind of crushed it. And he was just like, yeah, I think, like, Grixis would be a little bit better. So I think that might be where he ends up. And I'm certainly going to be watching his matches pretty closely to get an idea of, like, how good is this? Like, is this something that I should actively be doing? Like, if his record is, like, 6-6 six and six or something, then... Obviously, I'll probably stay away, but... Give me your odds of an impactful printing from Rivals for the Modern Pro Tour. Oh, man. I don't know. Like, I guess the last second set was Hour of Devastation, but the one before that was Aether Revolt, and it's like, you know, occasionally something like Fatal Push shows up, right? And it's just like, oh, this is like a game changer for Modern, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, it's for some reason, it seems like in the second sets, things just, like, slip through. Is there any chance there could be some, like coordination this far out like they knew this was the time for a modern pro tour because there is something interesting coming down the pipeline or do you think that's unlikely i don't know i feel like the pro tour changes probably happened later than the set actually went to print Mm -hmm. i could be i could be wrong about that but it's close at least like there was an idea of what was coming in the set right yeah maybe i mean it, it could have been like oh let's just cover up like PT rivals instead of the next PT, but I guess the next PT would be new block anyway. So they would probably want to showcase that. So yeah, maybe they do have to like have the modern PT be the second set. So maybe that could just be happenstance rather than like, you know, something crazy is in the set. I don't know. And it's like, if you take like one shot, like obviously fatal push is kind of like a slam dunk for modern. And that was Ben Hayes's design. And he knew going in that he was going to impact modern. That was kind of his goal. He was just like red has lightning bolt, White has like swords and path to exile. Like why why does black's one mana removal just suck? And he's just like black black is supposed to be the removal color, right? So like he wanted to that was like a conscious decision was to like make a card that would see play in eternal formats. So Nailed it. And I guess modern is technically technically not an eternal format, but you know what I mean. So yeah, I don't know. Like how how many of those shots do you think they have in the holster? Like there there can't be that many. No, I mean if there were that many like interesting modern push cards, they a lot of them would have been made already, right? Like it's it's tough to find new space in kind of this hyper-efficient mode that you need modern cards to be able to act in. So Right, especially when you're talking about releasing them in a standard in legal standard. set. Exactly. So as, as far as that is concerned, I wouldn't necessarily expect Rivals to be any different. Uh, if there was a B&R announcement, like that would certainly not surprise me, but it's also possible that they would just do that post-Pro Tour. Yeah, it, it seemed like they were hinting very hard that they had no interest in doing BNR prior to the Pro Tour. I think Aaron Forsythe has said something along the lines that they plan to leave the format alone. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. I've kind of discounted that as a possibility. Let me pose some more hypotheticals to you. I don't know why I'm in a hypothetical kind of mood tonight, but... Let's do it, man. We got time. Do, do you support the idea of printings for modern? Like, do you think there's a space where you could print cards that were not standard legal, but are modern legal? Yeah, I mean... You could certainly do that. It would be kind of weird, right? Like, are you just talking about like a master set with new cards or something? Or what? kind of, yeah, that kind of idea. Or like, I know the answer to this to some extent, but like, why aren't commander cards legal in modern? They've been printed since the modern format existed, you know, and and we allow them into legacy. Um, now, some of them are problematic on a power scale, probably, but modern has a lot of power, powerful stuff. And I think like something like True Name Nemesis, the format could probably adapt around. I'm not saying it should. That's not a very fun card in my eyes, but I think it's possible that 
Modern could bear the weight of the Commander cards. It could, but then is it is it a bug or a feature that those things could be legal in Modern, right? Like, they are not developing these sets for Legacy, which is how things like True Name Nemesis happen. It, it, it stands to reason that, like, they would also not have time to test for Modern. Like, they, they certainly could, but it's just like, is is that actually worth it versus, like, you know, maybe doing something that is, like, very specifically Modern? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what the correct approach is, but I, I do think, like we always say, modern is the most popular format now. So it deserves that kind of focus and attention, I think, and, and kind of that TLC and, and a little extra care. So I don't know. I think there's still interesting decisions to be made with within the framework of modern. You know, there's other things we can explore and do. And I don't remember who I was talking to this weekend, but it was just like, think about how much better modern would be if the eighth and ninth edition cards, the whiteboarded cards were gone. And like, I'd still like to see them explore these ideas. There's still space to do so. And, you know, it kind of goes against the spirit of modern where you go, here are your cards, you get to play with them forever. And I think that's a huge part of the appeal of modern. Yeah, for sure. So I understand why maybe that idea isn't on the table, but I do think the format would probably look better and healthier in the absence of the whiteboarded cards. That is likely true. Back to your original question, though. Does modern need that sort of curating? Like, I agree that they should pay attention to modern, certainly more than we did when I was working on Cons of Tarkir and, like, the Treasure Cruise Dig Through Time stuff happened. Mm. But as of right now, like, modern looks pretty good, right? I mean, people aren't necessarily, like, clamoring for bannings or anything. It's like, okay, Street Wraith, Simeon Spirit Guide, and Mox Opal are probably cards that are on the watch list. Maybe something like Ensnaring Bridge, too, if you just want to, like, remove the lantern play pattern from the style or the style from modern as a whole, like which I kind of support, you know, and to that end, you know, maybe removing the white border cards is a good idea, but I don't know. I think like enough people like Tron and they like blood moon, like scred red type stuff that whatever, let them play. I'm surprised to hear you voice your support for removing the play pot pattern of lantern. I mean, you're an old school guy. Like you've been there through the winter orb times and, and those like, ancient styles of magic. And I like that modern is kind of the one place you can still go for those things. Now, from a time logistics standpoint, if you want to make that argument, I'm listening. I think that's fair. Lantern has some very severe clock issues, the same way that Sensei's Divining Top always did. Right. But it's such a small piece of the metagame. If it pushed like 20% of the metagame, I understand that from a logistics standpoint, you have to think about what are you going to do with Lantern. In its current capacity... I really think the play pattern is a huge part of the draw of modern and, and isn't something that needs to be dealt with. Well, there there is certainly a benefit to having a variety of play patterns, which is like, you know, some people like Scred Red and some people like the Urza Lands and whatever. Like, let, let people do what they want to do, I think, is definitely one of the biggest appeals to modern. And maybe when you, not necessarily like if you just remove Tron Lands, like, you know, the people are going to be up in arms, like quitting the format or whatever, but it's like, you definitely lost a piece of what makes modern appealing as for the lantern play pattern itself. Like, I don't know, man, like comparing it to the, you know, 1996 days with like people playing winter orb and stuff. It's like the only people who played magic then were like the hardcore people who actively wanted to play magic, I think. And they're willing to suffer through really shitty game states and, just games in general, because like, oh, like that's kind of the appeal or whatever. Like we're all masochists, you know, but magic is way different now. There's like, what, a hundred X more people playing magic. And you have to be cognizant of that. Like not everyone wants to 
play under Winter Orb or play under Incineering Bridge or even just be like, okay, you take, you know, 15 actions per turn, I take one, and it's like draw go, right? For someone to just sit there and watch someone else play, like, that is not particularly fun. And especially with Lantern, it's not always clear, like, when you can concede because, in theory, you have, like, runner, runner, runner outs or whatever. Uh, Obviously, if, like, Tron just, like, blows up all of your permanents, okay, you can concede and play the next game. But, like... I, I mean, I guess you could just be like, this game is not fun, I'm conceding, but it's like, that's not a good experience either. It's like, no one wants to go to their friends and be like, oh yeah, I was playing like a crappy match, so I just conceded to the person, you know? Yeah, you make a valid point. I, I want to suggest that the the kind of like polarization of the games, like how pointedly they can go in one direction, contributes to that really special comeback, that really special time you broke the lantern lock. And those are the games you'll definitely remember where you just play perfectly and and find a way. It's literally never happened. Never happened. I refuse to believe that someone has ever broken a lantern lock. You you know you're being hyperbolic right now. No, I I refuse to believe it. (laughs) It I refuse. It doesn't happen often, but it certainly happens. And... You know, the fact that you don't believe it happens means when it does happen to you, you're going to remember that game of Lantern. No, because I will just concede. I will concede. It's not even like I'm not having fun. It is just I value that 15 minutes of my life way more than I do like my one in a million percent like chance to actually get out of the game. Like, screw that, man. I'm I'm just going to go like talk to people for 15 minutes. That's way more enjoyable. And plus, it's like my opponent's time. Like, I guess they signed up for it. So whatever. But let them go, like, get food or whatever. So, you know, I'm sure they went to time every round, right? So, like, let them go to the bathroom, get food, get water. Yeah, I I think you're overstating the issue. I understand your point. And I don't want to always be a defender of Lantern because I know a ton of people despise the deck. And I think they have reason for doing so. But to me, it's it's going to remain part of the appeal of Modern. The fact that things like that can come out of nowhere and are so different from typical methods of playing Magic. I mean, even Dredge is the same thing, right? To some extent, it's not typically how you play Magic. And its existence is a definite boon for people who enjoy that type of approach to the game. For the griefers who love, you know, forcing their opponent, the people who used to play Howling Mind Stasis and and things like that. And I'm dating myself so dramatically at this point. That's okay. That That's allowed. Googling Kismet to understand what I'm even talking about. But, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a style of play that existed since the beginning of Magic. And I appreciate there's still a little hint of it here and there. And I know you were a Stasis fan back in the day. I remember you playing Stasis in Legacy. So you have some of this in you. I know it's true. I agree, but like, it's not about me, man. I'm never going to argue for my personal point of view because that's dumb. No, you're right. That's not how you cultivate a, a positive environment for magic. And I get it. And I like a small amount of lantern. That's my point. Small amount of lantern. If it got out of control, I could get on board with the kind of utility bannings and, you know, a banning not focused on power level. I understand why it's problematic to lock a fifth of the field down under a lantern lock every single, every single round of a tournament. So you're, you're talking about like, oh, all these different strategies are part of the appeal of modern. And I agree with that. But who who does Lantern appeal to? Certainly not the person playing against Lantern for the most part. The vast majority of people I have seen just, you know, say things like this is not fun. This feels like a waste of my time, blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm-hmm. So who are the people that actually enjoy playing Lantern? There's Canister. But before Lantern, he played Amulet anyway. You know, and it's like he only started playing Lantern when they banned Amulet or ban Summer's Bloom. So if you ban something from Lantern, Canister will find a new deck to be a savage with, right? Sure. If you remove Lantern from the format, does it make 
moder is it a net negative for modern or a net positive? Like I would definitely argue that it's a net positive. I, I'm not confident making that argument one way or another. I understand arguments on both sides. On the whole, I, I guess I could see to the entirety of the player base, it's a net positive to ban Lantern. But again, there's value in polarization. And one of the principles of design that Mark Rosewater talks about is like when, when they do design scoring, he talks about he'd rather see a card that gets a bunch of 10s and a bunch of 1s than a card that gets a 5, right? Like something really polarizing is more likely to generate excitement and interest. And granted, yes. he's, talking, he's talking in the one card context. I get that it's not a perfect uh, analog to what we're discussing here, but I do understand that principle of design. And that's kind of like where my talk on polarization is coming from. I don't know. I, I'm in favor of keeping Lantern for now. I'm not going to advocate for a ban, but I respect the argument and see where it's coming from. So I, I do think that people look at decks very similarly to how they look at cards. You know, it's just like, oh, I have this this very loving attachment to Glorybringer or mm. whatever, right? Like I Glorybringer is a 10 in my book. You will probably look at decks like maybe not Team or Energy because who the hell would rate Team or Energy a 10? But you're like, this is the best Glorybringer deck. Like, therefore it's a 10. And they don't care what the other cards in the deck really do. And it's like, if you sit down to play against Team or Energy, a lot of people do not think to pick apart the nuance of these specific cards that their opponent has chosen to put in their deck. They're just like, you're playing Teamer, this is boring. It doesn't matter if they have like Charter Course or Voltaic Brawler or Ronis or Nickel Bolas or whatever. Like They're just like, you are still a Teamer energy deck and the things that make you different don't matter to me. And to that extent, I think that people do rate just like general bucket archetypes, you know, with emotion, right? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. So, yeah, so for Modern, right, like Lantern is definitely like a 1 or a 10. It is very polarizing for Modern, but I think most people would rate it a 1, and the people that rate it a 10 are few and far between. I think people are picking it up because it's good, and people are seeing like other people win with it, but no one is, who, who is like, oh man, this is exactly the type of crap I want to do. It's like Adrian Sullivan. <laughs> you know and he is he is like actual og winter orb dude he plays infinite land destruction decks maybe not as many as he did back in the day or whatever but he was all about like ponza and annexing your land and stuff like you know he's old school he's definitely old school he, he was i worked with him for a pro tour and uh he was a trip he approaches the game very differently from other people oh yeah there are a lot of people that will rate it a 10 i don't care because it is math you remove the deck and yeah, there's three people who are like, oh man, that was a 10 for me. They'll find something else. It doesn't matter. And there are thousands of people everywhere who will be much happier. Who are rating it a one. That's that's a good argument. I get what you're saying. The fact that the polarization has to be more evenly skewed. Like it has to be half tens and half ones to be a true success, not three tens and 10 million ones. Yep. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I mean, I think a lot of people will probably complain or be scared if something ever gets banned from Lantern. And I'm not saying like, oh man, this is like an immediate thing. We need to do this ASAP. I'm not going to play Modern until we do it. Like Modern is fine. Lantern is fine. But I do think that the format would be healthier without some sort of like pure prison deck. But like, I, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a worry where it's like, oh, like now they're willing to ban for like this sort of play pattern. Mm. Like, what is next? Like, what is actually safe for me to invest in? And just like, well, you know, first they came for my lanterns or whatever, right? Yeah, no, you're right. The co the cost to consumer confidence is actually a huge portion of any modern decision to ban at this point, I think. You know, the format is kind of 
to a large extent now built around that confidence and and having trust. And it, it took a long time to establish that trust. I think that a lot of the band decisions, the format is better off for them, but it was tough on players for a while. And I think just now they're settling into a level of comfort. Like, okay, I get to keep my deck. I'm okay dumping $1,000 into this modern deck because I know I'm going to get to play with it for the next three years on like standard where you know, I, I have to update every six months or so, or, you know, decks change from week to week and I can't successfully play the same deck. So that is a huge part of the cost and, and another reason against a banning of, of Lantern just for strictly kind of play pattern reasons. Yeah, I think if you want to shake up modern, you know, you can unban Twin, you can unban Bloodbraid Elf, maybe Jace. Uh, you can unban Green Sun Zenith, maybe, because now it fights with Collected Company. Whoa, and, that one I don't agree with. I was with you to there. but Listen, I, maybe, maybe you unban Zenith and you ban Dryad Arbor. Maybe that is, like, stupid okay. and ugly. But I think people would have way more fun with Green Sun Zenith than they would with Dryad Arbor. I think you're correct. And also, we'd eliminate that horrible, horrible Dryad Arbor with the worst art in the history of magic. Yes, the secret forest. God, I hate that. that, that should, is- it should just be banned. There's no reason why that forest, that Dryad Arbor is still legal. Yes, I agree. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things that they could do to shake up the format that I think would be really cool. And that's not even taking into account the fact that you brought up there. They could just make like a modern set or whatever. Like who cares? Yeah. You know, we have a lot of years of modern left, I think. I don't think we're anywhere near kind of the extended style shakeup where, oh, actually modern is is this now. So there's going to be a lot of time to explore new stuff. And we, we know that Wizards is willing to push the envelope and try new things. And I would like to see that explored at some point, just a different way of getting cards into the modern pool. Yeah. So modern, still in a good place. I want to try Blue Red Breach. I want to play more of Blue, uh, Blue Eye Control. One of the decks that got posted today was blue-red control with four spreading seas, one blood moon. It kind of resembles a blue-red breach deck just without the combo, and it kills with like two Vendillions and two Pia and Kirins, which is kind of sweet. The purist in me likes this. You know, the fact that I'm not going to draw like a Charizard on turn eight, you know, just some piece of cardboard that doesn't do anything like Emrakul. Yeah, it's also somewhere close to the old blue moon decks, right? Like it's definitely using a lot of those same tactics it's it's just missing the the batter skull finisher or you know the vidalkin shackles which man i would love to play a copy of this even if i don't actually believe that card is good anymore i i love vidalkin shackles i'll always be prejudiced towards including that card in my heavy island decks yeah p and kieran is good i don't think you necessarily need batter skull or some big whammy maybe you do but interesting to note is the two relic progenitus main with four snapcasters and two logic knots it's kind yeah, of ugly. That's tough. That's a, that's a tough ask of your deck. Are you that desperate to have access to Relic in game one? That seems hard for me to believe. You need it versus Dredge. Yeah, yeah, you do. And I think maybe like where Dredge is 5% of the metagame, I'd rather just not play this card, which kind of conflicts with my whole game plan. I mean, granted, Relic has a lot more selective use to it, which is nice, but there's still going to be a lot of times where that's just a straight up dead card. And when you're talking about, you know, the purest approach where you don't have to deal with drawing Emrakuls, well, now you have Relic of Progenitus in your decks where it's dead a lot of the time. So Low opportunity cost, though. Yeah, that's true. That's and, true. And most decks use the Graveyard to some degree. Like Relic plus Bolt kills the Tarmogoyf, so whatever. Uh, the other deck that... Caught my eye was posted two days ago from the Modern Challenge when six and one, and it's just old school black green. The thing that makes me happy is like four Blooming Marsh. That's awesome. And then there's some Tireless Trackers main deck. Awesome. A Kalidus, 
and a bunch of Field of Ruins. Yeah, Field of Ruin is a sweet upgrade for this deck. I mean, I played basically the the last SCG I played, last modern SCG, I played basically this deck, except I think it was pre-Field of Ruin, so I was playing Ghost Quarter. The deck was still very good, uh, felt very powerful, but I do think that Field of Ruin is probably just an upgrade here. It, it seems like exactly the card this deck is looking for. I want to go back in on this deck. Like, granted, the last time I played it, my results weren't fantastic, but it felt like it was just like the best version of the Jundish strategy right now. Having access to clean land destruction is worth a lot. And I'd get to play a Crucible of the World in the sideboard as opposed to this terrible Ramunap Excavator, which is floating around now. Yep. I just don't get it, man. 2-3 two, three, two, is not getting the job done, and it's, it just leaves you vulnerable to absolutely everything, where some decks struggle to answer a Crucible. Yeah, it's just super greedy, I think. I mean, if you're doing it against exactly Tron, maybe they can't kill it, you know? So whatever, it's kind of a free roll, but... Yeah, and they do have an... I, I think this deck probably has like an okay Tron matchup. I'm not going to go as far as to say favored post-board, but you can definitely win some games once you're up to three Fulminators, the Rabinab Excavator plan, and three Field of Ruins. It's totally possible to get games off Tron, whereas usually it's just like, well, time to scoop. This deck is, is playing a little bit, though. It, it's got a chance. If they Tron turn three on the play, you're dead. But... Sure, sure. If they, if they miss, if they let you untap, then yeah, you're live. Yeah. And, you know, some of the decks have kind of veered a little bit away from just pure always have turn three Tron. It's not like the hyper redundant versions we used to see. But I get what you're saying. There's just no way a black green deck is ever going to be able to answer that. Answer that. Like the ghost quarter plan is is there, but I don't think you're winning those games anyway. It doesn't really matter where you have to ghost quarter that early and can't really, you know, assert any kind of game plan on your own and ramp them. It's just not going to go well in the long run. So you might feel like you're taking some agency, but you're just delaying the inevitable when you're ghost quartering in the first two turns. Yeah, correct. I mean, if ghost quarter is your second land and you have to use it, it is very, very bad. Obviously, if you're just like playing Dark Confidant and Tarmogoyf while also wastelanding your opponent, then that's fine. But it, it has the, the same problem on the draw, basically, where like if they go Tron land, Tron land, you almost have to ghost quarter them. Yeah, yeah, it's a horrible spot to be in. Not that Field of Ruin is necessarily any better in that position, but at least Field of Ruin is better uh, a little bit longer and lets you like double spell a lot easier, makes you able to get up to like the Crucible mana. Correct. Correct. Like it keeps that, the, so. the Fulminators in play as well. Like you're not just sitting there dying as your Fulminator rots in your hand. So it gives a little bit more flexibility and lets you bridge into your late game, which is what you need to do as soon as possible against Tron. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so any any other notes on modern? No, I'm I'm still interested in all the Grixis lists. I am pleased to see Grixis Death Shadow pick back up because it means I can feel comfortable if I don't have a ton of time to prepare for a modern tournament. I'll just scoop up old trusty Grixis Death Shadow. Having gotten in the reps at this point, it's nice to have a deck I can always default to in the absence of time to prepare. So yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, okay, standard. Yeah, this is you, man, because I've been out of the standard game for a while, but I hear you're excited about standard right now and you have some information. So I'm looking forward well, to hearing it. So the thing that changed for me is that Yuya and Shota kept playing the same teamer deck and they keep killing it. And now everyone is finally on board with their list and it just <laughs> makes me question everything. So why don't you tell us the tenets of their list? What are they doing differently from everyone else? So Yuya wins 7-1 in the standard mocks. His deck is zero Glory Bringers, zero Magma Sprays, a Braid instead of Magma Spray, basically. Two Confiscation Q, two Vraska, two Chandra, two Scarab God, and two Bristling Hydra. Also of note, 23rd Land. It's still there. There's so much to unpack in this list. I'm, I'm just kind of processing it right now. 
So screw magma spray. You don't need it. I, I came to that conclusion already. Yep, I like I'm it. That. I'm on board. But his conclusion of the way to win these mirror matches is by playing like Chandra's and Vraska's and uh, Nicol Bolas and, and Nissa and stuff. It's just like, okay, that is like way different than what I found. Yeah, Vraska is a card you actually have a strong dislike for. Am I correct? I mean, I like it in like slower mid-rangey matchups. Like if you're playing against like Blue White Gift or whatever, I would board it in. But yeah, mm-hmm. like for the most part, I, I, it's just like, it's good. It's fine. But it's just so weak if, you know, they ever have like Negate or Glorybringer or just, you know, the cards that people should normally play, right? Yes, absolutely. He's he's still playing Long Tusk Cub too, which is... At odds with everything else in his entire deck? Yeah, I mean, I... I'm sure he sides them out, right? But it is still kind of bizarre. Like, Glintsleaf Siphoner seems like a much better fit for what he's trying to do. Having four Chandra's defeat... I mean, do you think he's just, like, all in on the Stop Your Glory Bringers plan? You think he sides all those Chandra's defeats in the mirror? No, just against Mono Red. Just against Mono Red. And then, like, one or two against the mirror. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, his cuts and adds, and it's obviously he's going, like, three Vizier, and I'm assuming just trying to go large with Bolas, possibly Nissa. So watching his top eight match against, was it against Wales? I don't, because I don't think it was. No, it was against someone else that had like a very similar deck. Uh, maybe it was the Polish team. Maybe this was the finals of, of the WMC where Yuya had Nicol Bolas, Nissa, and Negate in his deck. I do not recall how many like Viziers and like Search for his Cantos and stuff I saw, but like I know that that is part of his general plan. So he's just playing on a completely different axis than everyone else, or at least on the, as opposed to the approach that we've taken in the mirror. I mean, negate is a card we talked about that maybe there'll be a day when it's actually correct to bring it in in the mirror. Well, he thinks that day is now. It's here. Yeah. Cause they, they both had like Chandra and Vraska and stuff. And I think the, whoever was on the Polish team was, I think it was Greg was playing basically Yuya's list from nationals or whatever. Mm. Or not nationals, but the Grand Prix, whatever yeah. Grand Prix top did. And yeah, he was just like working them with like, they're, they're both just like battling planeswalkers. And it was like, neither of them had Glorybringer in their deck or like Vraska's Contempt or anything like that. So eventually something happened where Yuya had to like discard his Nickel Bolas or something. I don't know. But like they, they both had like Nissas in their deck and stuff. And it's just like, man, they are playing a way different game than me. Like I, I would just keep in my Cubs try and like stick a Hydra on the board and kill them with Glorybringer. But like, maybe, maybe that plan is just not good against three Viziers. I don't know. Three Viziers and a bunch of defeats. Another kind of interesting wrinkle to this deck, whereas a lot of the black splashes would be like only for Scarab God. Yuya has a little bit extra black splash in terms of Vraska and the Bolas, but he also is forgoing the uh, Blossoming Marsh that a lot of people would play in that spot. Uh, he does have eight fast lands though. Yeah, eight fast lands, no blossoming marsh, and single swamp. So he he's playing sl- he's playing less black sources despite adding more black cards to his deck. Yeah, I mean he has he has more lands, which in theory makes it more likely that he has a he wider range of, of, of keepable hands. Yeah, and it also makes it so he's more likely to have like you know red and UU and stuff like that, so that he's not forced to like attune for the color that he's missing. It's just more likely that he has all of his colors already. And then he's just attuning for an extra land, which then becomes the swamp. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I I think it's probably a little small wrinkle and not super impactful, but where kind of we are dreading the addition of black for its impact on the mana base. You is like, yeah, it's not that bad. You just figure it out. Yeah. You just add a land, which solves a lot of problems, which we talked about like three episodes ago. So yes, we did. 
Yeah, so now everyone is on on this train and A makes me wonder if I just like messed everything up and this is what we were supposed to be doing all along because like this is what the CFB face guys did too at the PT, like Siggy top eighted with like three Chandras and two Vraskas and Scarab Gods and I think no glory bringers or two glory bringers, something like that, some low number. But yeah, this is kind of the list that everyone is on at the moment. And I especially like uh, Search for Ascanta out of the sideboard when like you, you both want the extra land drop, but also it allows you to search up threats in Planeswalkers. Yeah, once you shift to the Planeswalker plan, it's, it's more plausible to me. It's a card I resisted for a long time when I think the decks weren't being built around search. It was just being played as like a value card without any real focus on it. But once you switch it to a... Uh, like Planeswalker heavy threat base, I totally get Search. Yeah, once you can find threats with it, like it's over. You know, Search is one of the best cards you can play. Would you assume that this deck is weak versus Sultai? The normal four blossoming defense Sultai? Yeah. I hope so. It should be, right? Like this is this is the deck that Sultai was built to beat. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they don't have Glorybringer. They do have Chandra, but like Chandra is, is negligible, especially like when it's in small numbers, like you can definitely beat it. So- mm-hmm. Yeah, I would assume that Saltai is a good matchup against this deck. I mean, they have three Viziers, which is uh, the card that I got worked by when uh, I was playing for top eight in the WMC. So that is certainly something to take note of. But yeah, it's like their main deck looks pretty bad against it. Their sideboard looks pretty horrible against it, honestly. They're spending all of their removal equity in in their sideboard slots on Chandra's defeats. So sweet. Maybe we were already looking at the next step. If everyone shifts to this list, I could see Saltai picking back up for sure. Yeah, I've, I've been playing a little bit of standard on Magic Online, and I was basically just trying to build a big Saltai deck, which is like another list that I saw floating around. Like Siphoner, Servant, uh, no Cub, no Snake, no Ballista, no Blossoming Defense. And then it's kind of a, a mashup of Mark Tobias' deck from the WMC and I think a Jabberwocky list, maybe? But it was like... A bunch of Essence Scatters, a bunch of Contempts, and some Torrential Gearhulks. So, like, a a pretty big Sultai deck. Yeah, I saw the list. I thought it was pretty cool looking. I mean, maybe this is blasphemy when it comes to Sultai. And I only played one League and one BTQ. But, man, I hated Winding Constrictor. It felt so ineffectual in so many games. And I get that, like, the nut draws and, and the most powerful draws are all based around Winding Constrictor. But there's just so few games that you played in that fashion, it felt like. And... I, I can see going bigger being a very successful approach to Sultai at this point. Yeah, the, so I actually played against like one of the U, Yuya-style teamer decks and got to a spot where like we were both kind of stuck on lands. Like I had five plus of the Transform Search and they had like four or something and we both had like six cards in our hand and it's just like, okay, this game's over, right? But my Search failed to turn up anything of relevance because I didn't really have any Planeswalkers in my deck and they just like drew up to six lands and started playing their hair, their haymakers. And eventually I lost. Mm-hmm. I had two searches in my board and I think that they are still good, even with how the deck is built, but it was still just like kind of a, a wake up moment where it's like, okay, I need to be able to find like Chandra's and Frasca's for this card to actually be great. Yeah. So I don't know all the stuff that I want to do with the big salt eye deck. If it, if it just loses to the teamer plan that everyone else has right now, it's like, yeah, I'm just off it and I'll go back to playing little salt eye and see how good it is against them. But as far as whining constrictor is concerned, I mean, if, if you're playing like the, the small ball version of salt, eye, I think you need the snake. I agree that it's sort of high variance. Like sometimes you just have naked snake and nothing to combo with it, but the, it is responsible for a lot of your free wins. So, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm more complaining about the small ball style than 
the card itself because I, I do see how it's an essential part of being able to play that aggressive game plan. It just felt weird to me to be playing that aggressive game plan in this format. I'll also point out that you have to go to the ninth place slot before you see a non-energy deck. Not to be that guy, but this tournament was dominated by energy, absolutely. When you brought the best players together, they almost uniformly chose energy, uh, at least the successful ones did. So, Well, this this is an open mox. Oh, this so, is an open. This isn't a qualified one. Yeah. You can play the open ones? I assume so. They just take QPs. Okay. I, I thought there was like... If you were already qualified, but I guess there's none of that going on with the mocks. Well, this is a straight Swiss one. I thought the other moxes, like the big moxes, were cut to top uh, eight. Yeah, yeah. Maybe think, maybe I they changed right. that. Maybe I'll they be honest. That. I don't I don't know the format of the mocks all that well. It just never works out for me timing wise to be able to play it. So I, I tend to pass on them always. Sure. I mean, regardless, winners metagame is eight teamer decks or yes. whatever. Yeah, it's seven teamer one like Soltai basically. Yeah. Is is something getting banned? What do you think? Uh, I think no, but I'm not positive that's the correct decision at this point, but I think no. Yeah, I don't know. Like the, the weird thing to me is that like these energy decks keep evolving. There are different versions. There's still like mono red and some blue white decks. Like the format's not bad, but I don't know. I do think that there is cooler stuff lurking under the surface that maybe would be more fun than this. But like the problem is like, say you ban a tune, right? Then it's like mono red is just the brew killer anyway. So like, yeah. I don't know what you do. Yeah, the format looks worse on its face than it actually is. That's kind of like the big problem, right? Is it if you were to look at this, you'd be like, oh, this format is just dregs. And I guess I haven't been particularly inspired to play a lot of standards. So maybe it is just bad, but I don't know. I, I think there's, a, again, a huge amount of equity be, to be given up with a ban. And it's taken, I mean, I'm not even going to say trust is rebuilt at this point. Standard was in such a bad place for so long with so many bans. I think going back to that well is troubling. They'll at least give Rivals a shot to shake things up, I believe. So say Rivals is just as weak as Ixalan, and they know that, then what is it going to do? You know? I know. I know. I mean, well, here's the thing is that we have a few weeks of getting everything wrong first, right? Like kind of when we were starting this format and we were playing dinosaur decks, like that time period will always be out there. People will do wrong things and some, you know, kind of results that are strained from the quote-unquote correct outcome could influence people to go in a certain direction before things regress to the correct equal equilibrium. So there is that period to kind of enjoy, but that might be moved through real quick based on kind of the relative strength of these energy lists. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this this mocks only had 100 people. And yeah, some of the screen names are like Nassif, Paulo, uh, Rietzel and Brad stayed in at like four and four, I think. So yeah, this, this, this was, uh, an invite only mocks, I think. Oh, okay. So yeah, the best, the best players brought teamer and they, they smushed people with it. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of excited actually. Like I get to play Santa Clara and play standard. And if everyone figures out this, like Chandra Vraska stuff, and I get to play Sultai with and not play against like any glory bringers, basically I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, that's a nice free roll for that deck. And the fact that you've put in the work to this point and know that's the next next move, you'll certainly be rewarded for it. I just don't have any standard on the horizon. I, I can't see any circumstances under which I'd pick it back up before Rivals. I am excited for some new cards. My my brewing itch is, is firing right now. It's like, please, spoilers. I need yeah. to build. I need to brew. Nope, I, I feel you completely. I've been playing Hearthstone and like scratching that itch, thankfully. And the new Shadowverse set comes out in like a week, so... 
<laughs> I'm, I'm doing okay, but I, I definitely uh, feel your pain. What's good in, in Hearthstone now? What should everyone be playing? Give a quick tip to the listeners. Murloc Paladin. That's what was good last time I was playing Hearthstone, and that was like almost a year ago now. Yeah, well, so they got a, a new card, and it has the highest win percentage, but like Priest is definitely the class that people play the most, and Priest probably has the highest ceiling. And Murloc Paladin, it, it's like okay against some of the Priest decks and like kind of weak to some of the other ones, because it's like they just have a bunch of sweepers. So, I mean, Priest, maybe once you get to like High Legend, it's like play Secret Mage to counter Priest and whatever. You know, it's just typical Hearthstone nonsense. Yeah, it sounds like it to me because I know very little of what you're talking about. But I may delve back into Hearthstone. I have to say, I, every now and then I look at the app on my iPad and I'm like, is it time? No, not time quite yet. I went I went from like 20 to 16, just like messing around with new decks. And then I went from like 16 to 1 very, very quickly with Murloc Paladin and lost very few games. So you've already given me the key to get right back up towards the top. Maybe I'll oh, yeah. pick it up. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe things change and like Priest has infiltrated all parts of the ladder. Who knows? But I'm sure like the rank 20 Priest people are probably not that great. Right, right. There's always that barrier to entry at the higher levels of the ladder. Yeah, for sure. And the, the Priest decks are expensive too. Okay. All right. Uh, so to close this out, we have a few more questions to go through. Are you ready? Love the questions. I'm always ready for Patreon questions. And we now have in our Discord a dedicated question channel just for people fans of the podcast to ask us you know our input on various things from all aspects of life from movies to music to we're we're branching out we're branching out too man we got a lot of different channels we got that anime channel that's hopping i love it we talk anime we talk league of legends we talk everything over on the discord and i'm there a lot you can tell that i get bored at work sometimes and i'm just like well i'm gonna hop in the discord for like an hour now (laughs) yeah that's where i pass some time so it's, it's a good community i like it over there yeah. Uh, also, on that note, I tweeted on our like the game podcast Twitter that I got these two like happy holidays postcard things taken at like this uh, Watsy Christmas party that I snuck into. Ooh, ninja style! I like it. Yeah, it's the OG crew. It's me, Majors, and Andrew, and we just got our picture taken. And they printed off printed us off some postcards or whatever. So I have those to give away for some of the patrons and I'm going to do that when uh, the clock strikes midnight in Seattle town on the 25th from cool. the, pa- the patrons. So oh, speaking of giveaways, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't mention the fact that you bombarded my house with squirrels and raccoons this week. And I feel like I, I have to tell <laughs> the listeners of the game podcast about your random displays of animal based kindness. Go for it. Well, I just, I showed up at my house one day and Jerry had asked my address a, a little bit earlier. And I think it was even mentioned on the podcast. Yeah, someone like, said that I mentioned address, I will send you stuff. And he came through in spades. I showed up, I got back from, it might've been when I was coming back from GP New York and there was an Amazon delivery on my doorstep. I opened it and it was a lovely stuffed raccoon courtesy of one Jerry Thompson. And I was like, wow, Jerry, that was really nice. I didn't expect that at all. And then just like an hour later, I no, went no, out to no, do no, something no. else. Stop. Stop. You got to tell the middle part where you messaged me and you were like, hey, you sent this, right? And I'm like, maybe. And you're like, well, it better be you because my wife is concerned that people like random people are just like mailing me things. Yeah, and I'm she like, didn't understand why I was getting stuffed animals in the mail. I mean, that's kind right? of weird for a guy, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. And I get that. And I didn't really think about that. So I was like, oh, crap, what is your wife like? And you're like, oh, she really likes squirrels. And I'm just like, oh, man, I'm the luckiest. Because the second package that that hadn't arrived yet was just two beanie baby squirrels. 
And my wife was thrilled to see those squirrels. She literally squealed with excitement. Why did I get two? I don't know. Just like I felt like, you know, one of them needed a friend, right? You can't just have one beanie baby. Yeah, you're spot on. And I use them to adorn my mantle, which already has like, by the way, several raccoons and squirrel based like arts and crafts <laughs> that we've accumulated over the years. Yeah, join the family. Yeah, they went right on my soundbar. Uh, I tweeted out a picture of it. If, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have caught it. But yeah, great additions to the household. Good choice. A good eye for stuffed raccoons, by the way. I mean, I find there's a lot of shoddy stuffed raccoons out there. You really found an excellent one. So good job. Nice. Nice. I'm Especially glad. for a novice. Like, a, it's, a, it's a good first shot at raccoon buying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do my best, you know. Yeah. Okay. So to the questions, now that I've interrupted you thoroughly. Well, we might not be able to get to these questions now. One of them is, when are we getting game merchandise? And funny thing is, I kind of handled that today. So it's not going to be here for a while, but I do have some sweet stuff coming up maybe like five months from now. I know that's a long ass time. It is a long time, but I'm, I'm so excited for this. Like I kept thinking this whole weekend at the GP, how great it would be if I had sleeves and deck boxes and things of that nature to rep our brand. And, you know, it, it made me a little sad that I didn't have them. Despite that though, I had like three or four separate opponents who after we played took the time to tell me how much they liked the cast and were super kind and appreciative. A lot of them told me I should troll you a lot more and be harder on you. So I'm going to do my <laughs> best to just kind of make it uncomfortable for you for this. Bring it. Forward. Bring it. Yeah, but it, it was really cool just to have so many people who are appreciative of our work here. So I wanted to pass that on to you and make sure you knew. Cool. The community appreciates your work every week for sure. Yeah. I mean, yours too, man. Like people come up to me all the time at events and just, even if it's just like a drive by, Hey man, love the podcast. Like th those are pretty fun for me. I like yep. that. Agreed. Agreed. So great. yeah. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. I should, I should mail you some stickers cause I do have a bunch of stickers. Yeah. I could use that to adorn my, uh, my trusty old deck box, which I never leave home without my GP Nashville deck box. Oh, nice. It's the big one, right? It's the big one. It's the best deck box ever made a tournament. You won too. Yep. Just trying to make sure it was that one. I wasn't going to bring that up. You can mm -hmm. do that. That's fine. Yep. So we're, we're waiting for the merch to come and that's cool, but it, it basically got like the order got put in today. And then the other thing that I finalized today was a thing that's going to happen like a month from now. And that'll hopefully tide people over until then. And then when I get this new thing, we'll probably shuffle around the Patreon rewards a little bit. So maybe end of January or something like I'll, I'll be trying to Shuffle things around a bit and maybe get some better, more enticing rewards for folks out there. Nice. Exciting times here at the Game Podcast. Dude, I am I am stoked. I just want to hop in that time machine right now. Let's go. Yeah, I'm with you. I've I've I, I mean I, I can't tell you, I kind of trolled a little bit. They had limited resources boxes for the GP that they gave out, because obviously it was a CFB GP. Yeah. I was a little upset. I was like, come on, man, you're really gonna make me use a limited resources deck box. As much as I love Luis and Marshall. I felt like a trader when I was using the limited resources box. No, I think it's cool. I, I think it is sweet that like, you know, while, while they might not necessarily direct traffic to us, we can direct traffic to them. And it's like, oh, you know, like I, I like constructed and stuff, but what about limited? You know, it's like limited resources is probably the place to go. It is really cool. Like even if we're not doing it to have a place that we can point people. You're a better man than me. I say we go to war and we burn limited resources to the ground and we take no prisoners. Dude, even even aside from Marshall, man, we we can't take Luis just straight up like 2v1. We just couldn't take him. 
I think I could take Luis. I'm not going to issue a challenge here or anything. I don't want to start anything I can, I may not be able to finish. But I was an all-star football player. Like I am an athlete, or at least I was at some point in my existence, although now I have a terrible shoulder and I'm out of shape. So maybe I should just eat my words here and back off. If, this if we're talking about like physical violence, then sure, man. Like, yeah, you could probably take him. <laughs> but you have, you have like 800 Twitter followers and he has like 90,000. That's true. He could just set his army on us and we would be crushed immediately. Not, not even his entire army, man. It wouldn't take that much. All right. I'll, I'll concede. I'll concede this matchup. Yeah. No, just get yeah. get in Luis's good graces. That's the best place to be. Okay. Love you, Luis. All right. Uh, we have we have two good questions uh, that are left, but I think I should just call it. No, you got to get you got to give one. You have to give one question. I answered Take the quiz, Christmas one. I answered the merch one. All right. If you could go back to when you were starting to get more competitive or serious about the game and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? You're not as smart as you think you are. That's what I would tell myself. I had this like air of superiority about me and I was I was a crappy person back in the day. I'm not going to try and mince words about it. I feel like I've grown up a lot over there. You know, and keep in mind that I also was playing magic when I was, you know, at the worst age possible. Like I was like a teenager or a 12 year old, just the worst kind of person possible. But I had this attitude like I was better than everyone around me. And I, I couldn't even tell you where it came from because, you know, I'm in the same tournament that they are. I have no success at that point. And I just thought I was like so entitled and 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 deserving of wins. And it was such a horrible, horrible attitude to have. I think that we have to be more willing to learn. And it's funny that as I think I've gotten better, I've gotten more willing to accept my faults and understand what I'm not good at. Um, and I wish I could go back in time and just be like, I know you're not listening when anyone else says this, but since I'm future you, please listen to me when I tell you, you are actually trash at this game right now. And you can learn from everyone around you, drop the attitude and become a student of the game. That's the funny thing is that because you had that problem, even if you came back from the future, I wouldn't listen. Yeah, you just wouldn't. You'd be like, yeah, okay, future Brian, you're an idiot. I know. It's crazy. I I, <laughs> I know the folly in this advice. And it's like, this is kind of the worst type of advice because the people who need to hear it, and you're all thinking of someone in your playgroup right now who needs to hear it, they'll never listen to it in a billion years. They say, this isn't about me. This isn't about me. Just take one second and reflect if it's maybe about you right now. That's all I ask. Just think about it. Give yourself a good look inside. And I don't know when I had like that aha moment, like, oh, I'm being an idiot right now. And you know, I have so much to learn, have accomplished nothing. There's no reason for me to act like this. I don't know when that light bulb went off. It was probably a slow, gradual process. Right. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It was definitely gradual for me. And I, I basically wrote an entire article about all of this stuff not too long ago. So yeah. I definitely feel you. Maybe the question is worded poorly because it's like I if you go back and tell yourself something like, you know, as, as cocky and awful as we were back then, it's like there's no way we would have believed ourselves. It's like, yeah, that guy's from an alternate timeline. No way. He's from my timeline. In this timeline, I'm really smart. I'm sure. I'm sure we would have found all of those <laughs> justifications, which is, you know, that shows how deep these kind of issues go and how in your own head you can be. You know, maybe we could go broader and just like Give yourself some self-care, give yourself some self-analysis and, and try and use that positively. Even if you're not willing to address like your failings, maybe you're willing to address just kind of your approach and how you're treating people. And those things matter a lot. So, well, I do think that your answer is 100% valid. I definitely agree that the people who need that advice are probably not willing to listen to it. And mm. That, that is certainly apparent in our answer where it's just like, we know for a fact, like us in our mid twenties or whatever would not have listened. Right. Correct. 
I, I think the thing for me is it's kind of funny because it's sort of the opposite of yours, even though I don't think it is, but it's just like, like you, you are, you are probably good enough, you know, like you should just keep doing what you're doing, do what you are comfortable with and don't necessarily think that you need to emulate someone else or do what they do in order to have success because it's just not true. That's kind of like the other side of the coin, right? But you do see that the two things are, you, it's like a, a yin and yang type situation. Like they need to balance each other. They need to exist in equal measure. And that's how you get to a kind of place where you can find success. Yeah. I mean, certainly never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like, all right, I am mono red person. I'm going to play 20 mountains in my deck until I die. At the very least, like you should learn from other people and other styles because it will help you understand them better and help you understand how to how to beat them better and how to play against them and stuff. So never stop learning for sure, but you can certainly march to the beat of your own drum and be successful. And the, the second you stop trying to do like the things that have made you successful and you start trying to emulate someone else, like you just lose because you can't ever perfectly emulate someone. There is no like playbook or anything for exactly how someone approaches things. Like I have tried to write articles about like what I think separates me from everyone else in magic, like the things I do differently. And just like every time I write an article, I'm like, oh, I forgot to include these 10 things. And I just inevitably end up writing another piece of that article, right? And it's like, if you were just trying to emulate me off the bat, you would have maybe 10% of the picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you leave yourself with way too many tasks when you're trying to adapt to someone else's style. Yeah, so just do you and yeah, realize, of course, that you could be wrong. Uh, If you have ever been wrong in your life, this could be one of those times. That is a P. Sully quote and P. Sully is way smarter than me. So if you're not willing to listen to me, you should listen to him. I have to say that I, I've never interacted with P. Sully. I'm consistently impressed by how wise the things he says are. I, I think he's one of the smartest people in the Twitterverse right now. His takes are always measured. And I also don't think he is overly adherent to his viewpoints. Like I think he's capable of having his mind changed, which is that's the the trait I look for in thinkers above everything else. Like, are you capable of having your mind changed? Dude, he is an incredible human. And if, if you want to try and emulate anyone, not for necessarily their magic skill or whatever, but just like how to conduct yourself, it is him for sure. Yeah, that would be my interpretation as a, a distant viewer. So keep it up, peacefully. You're, you're our thumbs up member of the magic community for this week. Hell yeah. I mean, all, all of his all of his tweets are just fire every mm-hmm. time. Which is incredible because he tweets more than me, you know? Yeah, it's hard to have that kind of hit ratio, right? It's 100%. I don't think I've ever seen a tweet from him where it's just been like, yeah, you could have just not tweeted this and it would have been fine. Even when I disagree with him, I'm like, well, that was a well-measured take that I disagree with, but I respect the way you're saying it and how you're presenting your argument. Yeah, or he's just laying like a sick beat on someone. Either Mm -hmm. way, like it it provides value somehow. Yep. Okay. Uh, low, low potpourri episode for y'all. I think we are off for the next couple weeks and then we'll probably have an episode. Well, we'll almost certainly have an episode post Santa Clara, but I'm going to be out of town for a bit and I'm sure you got, you know, some nightmare before Christmas is to watch. Right. We're just marathoning that nonstop. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to do the entire next episode in character. Please Uh, vote on which character you'd like me to do it. Uh, I could do Jack Skellington, the mayor, whatever you guys want. That's how I'll be performing the next episode of the game podcast. I will vote for Brian Gottlieb. Ah, What a, what a letdown that is. Does that count? I guess so. If that's what, if that's what the votes say, we're, we're a democracy here on the game podcast. So are we sometimes, 
Sometimes. When we when we like what's being voted on, we'll yeah, be a democracy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Brian voted how I wanted to. Strange. Just like just like a real democracy. So. Yep. All right. On that note, that's game. Good luck.